0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, I am Kyle Hyman and today we are at the studio in South Bend you uh, always bouncing back and forth between Fort Wayne and South Bend. That's right. It's uh, I, I I could probably drive it with
1: my eyes closed.
0: <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that.
1: I guess if you have the self driving car, maybe. Yeah, I have, to, I have to look at that. Yeah, yeah take a nap while <laughs> I don't think on I would trust it. I,
0: I don't think I trust technology that much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've been praying Psalm fifty one during Lent. So why don't we begin this episode in prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have
1: mercy on me, God, in your kindness, in your compassion, blot out my offense. O oh, wash me more and more from my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin.
0: My offenses, truly I know them. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. What is evil in your sight I have done? that you may be justified when you give sentence, and be without reproach
1: when you judge. O see, in guilt I was born, a sinner was I
0: conceived. Indeed you love truth in the heart, then in the secret of my heart teach me wisdom. O purify me, then I shall be clean. O wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear rejoicing and gladness,
1: that the bones you have crushed may revive. From my sins turn
0: away your face, and blot out all my guilt. A pure heart create for me, O God, put a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, nor deprive me of your Holy Spirit. Give me again the joy of
1: your help. With a spirit of fervor sustain me, that I may teach transgressors
0: your ways, and sinners may return to you. O rescue me, God, my helper, and my tongue shall wring out your goodness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall declare your praise. For in sacrifice you take no delight.
1: Burnt offering from me you would refuse. My sacrifice a contrite
0: spirit, a humbled contrite heart you will not spurn. In your goodness show favor to Zion. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with lawful sacrifice. Holocausts offered on your altar. And now let us pray together. Glory be to the Father, and to the
1: Son, and to the the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, be, world without without end. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Holy Week is upon us, and on this episode, Bishop Rhodes walks us through all the special liturgies we celebrate this week, from Palm Sunday to the Easter Triduum. Then it's on to listener-submitted questions on purgatory, confession, and how far back Bishop can trace his Episcopal lineage. If you have a question for a future show, visit RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, or download the free Redeemer Radio app and submit it there.
0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman. As I mentioned, we are here in the South Bend studio, catching up during the middle of Holy Week here. I thought we could just kind of go through Holy Week on this episode, just kind of give a little summary of what's happened so far and what's to come. Do you have any specific things that you do, traditions or anything that you do during Holy Week, devotions or anything? Yeah, I I try
1: to keep my calendar a little less full Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously they're the liturgies of holy week it's probably some of the busiest time for you but you know i want to have extra time for prayer so i try not to to schedule too many appointments or meetings i mean some are unavoidable but i try Mm -hmm. to keep so i have more time to spend in prayer especially to meditate on the passion of our lord Mm -hmm. i like to take one of the gospels and and kind of slowly read it and meditate on it lexio divina and also, there's a lot of homilies to prepare <laughs> during sure. Holy Week.
0: Sure. We just had uh, Palm Sunday you celebrated at the cathedral in Fort Wayne. Uh, can you just give us a, a summary on what we're celebrating or remembering? Maybe, to, is maybe a better word for it on Palm Sunday? Yes.
1: Well, of course, when you think about Holy Week in general, we really are remembering the last days of our Lord's life on earth. And that begins with his entrance, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So that's what we commemorate on Palm Sunday. We often will have, according to an ancient custom, a solemn procession at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I think most parishes have the solemn procession at least at one of their masses. And that's where you begin outside and there's the reading of the gospel of Palm Sunday and the blessing of the palms mm-hmm. and then the procession into the church so it's really beautiful it's a, it's a kind of an imitation of of our lord's entrance into jerusalem his procession and of course the people sang out Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna in the highest, and and we sing the same thing. Of course, we sing that at every Mass at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer, but we do that on Palm Sunday. And then, of course, Palm Sunday is also known as Passion Sunday, because the Gospel that day is the reading of the Passion, and this year it's the Passion according to St. Mark. Mm-hmm. Um There's a three-year cycle, so other years it's either the Passion according to Luke or according to Matthew, and every Good Friday we have the reading of the Passion according to St. John. You know, it's important to remember our Lord entering as King, the Son of David, however not the kind of King or Messiah that the people expected. He came with no army, he didn't come on a horse, he came in humility, riding on a donkey he came as the king of peace and really he entered jerusalem in order to suffer and die for us
0: and it seems like a, a very short-lived remembrance of the palm entrance because we do move so quickly into the passion as you mentioned for the gospel is there a reason that we don't kind of give it its own space and just recognize the palm sunday for palm sunday uh, but but we so quickly do move into?
1: That's an interesting
0: question. You know, I, I
1: kind of remember when I was a child before the liturgical reform, I don't remember if we had the reading of the Passion on Palm Sunday. Hmm. I think the focus more was on what happened on Palm Sunday. I could be wrong on that. But but in any event, it's a little challenge uh, uh, for the homilists because – you know to think about well should i preach on the passion or should i preach on christ's entry into jerusalem Uh there is a possibility of giving two homilies because you can give a short homily outside after the reading of the gospel about jesus's entrance into jerusalem and then preach again after the passion but usually a short homily because the reading of the Passion is, is quite lengthy. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, I mean, I, I sometimes discern, sometimes I'll preach on the event of Palm Sunday, or sometimes I'll preach on the Passion, or or maybe both.
0: And then the Passion is, at least I've seen it most commonly done by multiple people, uh, some lectors and things taking different parts. Is that mandatory, or is that an option? Or And why just these Passion Masses, do we have those different parts and not regularly having a theatrical gospel
1: right my sense is that um, we don't have it on other gospels we don't have it broken up it's always either the priest or the deacon Mm -hmm. who must uh, read the gospel but on palm sunday and on good friday with the reading of the passion there are three parts and the priest should always read the part of of jesus Mm -hmm. and then there's two other parts that lay people can read and then actually there's a fourth part of the people right it kind of breaks it up it kind of adds a little bit of um the dramatic part of it i guess i find it helpful Mm -hmm. and uh i like to uh read along and, and try to focus on it as as we're as we're listening to the reading of the passion some places it can be sung I'm not a good singer, so I never sing it but uh, <laughs> as i said the the part of Christ is is reserved to the priest, so it's just a great way to begin Holy Week, but I think it's uh it's good to and I recommend this is to maybe during the week go back to the passion of mm. uh, i mean and, and I'm talking about as as individuals go back and 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 read parts of it each day of Holy mm-hmm. Week, I think then it can sink in
0: even more, sure. What about the palms themselves? They're blessed. So is there certain things that we should do with them and some things that we shouldn't do with them because they're blessed? Uh, I know a lot of people will fold them into a cross or something like that. Is that appropriate? That's
1: appropriate, yeah. And
0: then at the end of the year, it's customary then to burn the palms Mm -hmm.
1: and uh, they're used, the burned palms or the ashes are used on Ash Wednesday, or if, if you're not able to do that, you can just burn it yourself or bury it. Okay. Um, because once, once something is blessed, it should be disposed of properly.
0: So we shouldn't throw it in the trash. Right. Right. We correct. I get rid of it. All right. Well, if you're up for moving on, we have the chrism masses. Yes. Also a big part of Holy. a lot of people might not be aware of it because it doesn't happen in your local parish, but this is something every diocese would do to bless the oils that are going to be used for the sacraments. Can you explain that? Yeah. The the uh,
1: chrism mass is so beautiful. And, um, Most dioceses, of course, there's just one chrism mass, but since we have two cathedrals, we have two chrism masses. So on Monday of Holy Week, I celebrated the chrism mass at St. Matthew's in South Bend and on Tuesday last evening at the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Fort Wayne. And as you said, the oils are blessed. There's two oils that are blessed, the oil of the sick and the oil of catechumens and then thirdly the chrism the sacred chrism is consecrated so these three oils then are distributed to all the parishes and institutions but they must be blessed by the bishop or and of course the chrism consecrated by the bishop and those are used for various sacraments the oil of the sick is used for anointing of the sick Mm -hmm. the oil of catechumens is is used before someone is baptized they're anointed with that oil And then, of course, the holy chrism is the most important, which is actually a mixture of olive oil and balsam, Mm -hmm. which gives it that sweet fragrance. And that's uh, used for the anointing after baptism, Mm -hmm. used for the sacrament of confirmation, and for holy orders. When a priest is ordained, his hands are anointed with the chrism we also use chrism for the dedication of altars and churches Mm -hmm. it's a a beautiful prayers for the blessings of the oil and especially the consecration of the chrism the bishop when he's consecrating the chrism also besides saying the prayer he breathes into the vessels of the chrism and he mixes the balsam with the oil all publicly at this at the ceremony during Uh the mass so that's a, a very important liturgy i invite people who've never been to the chrism mass to, to attend because it is beautiful and the other thing about the chrism mass is all the priests of the diocese come together to concelebrate celebrate the mass with the bishop and during the mass they renew their priestly promises now of course because we have two chrism masses some priests go to the chrism mass in south bend and some go to the one in fort wayne depending sure. on where they're living and serving so we have two really big big liturgies and um i find it very inspiring especially with all the priests there and the faithful who come and actually participate in the mass and and show their also their uh, prayers for the priests
0: why is that the mass where the priests renew their vows Because traditionally the
1: chrism mass was celebrated on Holy Thursday morning, which is the day that Christ instituted the priesthood at the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. And in some places they still do celebrate the chrism mass on Holy Thursday morning, but in most dioceses of the United States, including our own, we have it earlier in holy week because it's it's actually more convenient for people and for the priests themselves because sure. they're getting ready for the triduum so the church does allow for pastoral reasons to celebrate the chrism mass on another day during holy week
0: jumping back to the oils real quick you mentioned that the, the chrism oil was the most special or most important why is it so and then why if that's a better oil why don't we just use that for all of them instead of having these different options for oils well they're different purposes Hmm. um
1: so the prayers of blessing are different obviously when we're praying for example when i'm praying over the oil for the sick we're praying for the healing uh Hmm. spiritual and or physical of the person who's going to receive the sacrament of the sick so the whole purpose of that oil is different. So the prayer over that oil, the prayer of blessing is different. The chrism is unique in the sense that it's used when you think about it for the character sacraments, for those sacraments that leave a permanent imprint on the soul, the sacraments that can only be received once baptism, confirmation and priestly ordination. I should also mention that chrism is used at the ordination of a bishop. The chrism is poured over his head when he's ordained a bishop. There's this configuration to Christ in all of those sacraments. Just think of the name chrism, it comes from the, the title Christ, which means the anointed one. There's this, what we call theologically, a configuration, being united to Christ in one soul. through baptism that permanent union with christ that takes place and then with confirmation it's a permanent anointing with the seal of the holy spirit strengthening us to live our faith with conviction and then of course the anointing of a priest it's permanent Mm -hmm. a man is configured to christ who is the head and shepherd of the church so the priest is empowered to act in the person of Christ the head in celebrating the
0: Eucharist in absolving sins and confession etc all right and then also we've got today Wednesday of Holy Week often called spy wednesday which i think might intrigue some people (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean
1: i I think a lot of people probably don't even know that name but i know when i was growing up uh we did we 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 would think about judas Mm -hmm. spying on jesus today you know Mm -hmm. wednesday of holy week to think about the drama of what led up to our lord's crucifixion we have judas's betrayal and uh Yeah, and he was watching for Jesus and informing the high priests where he would be. And then, of course, he betrayed him in the Garden of Gethsemane with a kiss. Mm -hmm. So that's what we remember in the gospel today on Spy Wednesday is about, you know, about Judas.
0: All right. Well, coming up, I'd like to get into the Triduum. We'll talk about Holy Thursday, Good Friday, uh, Holy Saturday, and of course the Easter Masses. So that's all coming up. We'll talk more about Holy Week, and then we'll take questions submitted by you right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman. We've been talking about Holy Week, and we are now up to the Triduum well let's start there what does the word triduum mean it means three so therefore we're
1: we're speaking of the three days of our lord's um passion death and resurrection the great mysteries of our redemption we speak of it as the paschal mystery that's why we call it the paschal triduum the Mm -hmm. easter triduum and it's the idea of jesus's passover his passover from this world to the Father, from death to life. So this is really the very climax of the church's liturgical year, Hmm. the Easter Triduum, which begins with the evening mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday. At that point, the season of Lent is over, and the Easter Triduum begins the evening mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday. And then the triduum continues through the night, all through Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Vigil, Easter Sunday. And the triduum ends with evening prayer, or Vespers, of Easter Sunday.
0: Oh, okay. So tomorrow, with Holy Thursday, what are we celebrating? We remember the Last Supper. So the evening
1: Mass of the Lord's Supper, it's called where we hear the gospel of our lord washing the feet Mm -hmm. of the disciples by the way the mass of the lord's supper has to be celebrated in the evening you can't have mass holy thursday morning and at that mass we commemorate the institution of the eucharist and the institution of the priesthood both sacraments and we remember our lord's command what we call in Latin, the mandatum, our Lord's command, his mandate of brotherly love. Mm -hmm. And that's represented in the washing of the feet. So it is really a a beautiful Mass. I highly recommend everyone attending the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday evening. It ends, the Mass ends with um, the transfer, a, a little procession, with the blessed sacrament and then it is reserved at another place that's prepared where people can come that night to pray and to meditate it's in a chapel separate from or in a place separate from the central part of the church not so the eucharist at the end is not kept where it usually is in the mm-hmm. tabernacle but in a repository and that's always a beautiful time to visit churches a Holy Thursday night after the evening Mass of the Lord's Supper, just to make visits to the Blessed Sacrament on that night when our Lord gave us the Eucharist. And also, it's the night when our Lord suffered the agony in the garden.
0: Hmm. Going back to the washing the feet, what does that represent? Is that symbolic? Was there actually a practical part to it where they actually did have dirty feet and they were just washing them and it was just an act of service or or what what are we supposed to gain out of that yeah
1: it has a deeper meaning yes there is that practical origin uh you know if you visited someone and you know back then if people were going barefoot or with sandals their feet were dirty Mm -hmm. so the host would would wash the feet or the slaves the servants would wash the feet of Mm -hmm. the guests what was so unusual is here jesus washes the feet that was not common Mm -hmm. he was the actual host and he took the role of a servant so he's showing us that we are called to serve each other and as a matter of fact remember peter objected uh, you know master you know you shouldn't be washing my feet i should be washing yours And, and but here's you get to the deeper meaning our lord said to peter if i don't wash your feet you'll have no inheritance with me so you think what does that mean it really refers to what happens the next day on good friday it refers to accepting our lord's loving service the grace of his death the grace of redemption so in a sense there is that deeper significance to the gesture of the washing of the feet because jesus as the servant died for us mm. and the grace of our redemption came from his death on the cross
0: and it's also sometimes called monday thursday monday which i think comes
1: from that latin mandatum command okay. Huh. jesus's command of brotherly love makes sense it's an All old right. english word i think monday huh yeah okay
0: well, you already mentioned a little bit about Good Friday, uh, no Mass. And also, just if people go on Good Friday, everything's a little bit different. You mentioned that the, the Eucharist is is stored somewhere else, off-site, a little adoration chapel is usually set up. Uh, what else can people expect out of that Mass, or that service, I guess? It's not technically yeah, a Mass? It's the,
1: it's the only day of the year that we don't have, we're not allowed to celebrate Mass. But people do receive Holy Communion. During the Good Friday service, but it's the Eucharist that was consecrated on Holy Thursday night. Mm-hmm. It's not consecrated on Good Friday itself. But the, um, the liturgy of, of Good Friday is very sober. It's very um, solemn. It begins with the liturgy of the word. And we again hear, as I said, we hear the reading of the gospel of the passion, but always the passion according to John. On Good Friday, and after that, we have what's called the Adoration of the Cross, where the cross is 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 shown to the people, and then people come up one by one to venerate the cross, mm-hmm. usually by kissing it, and that's really an ancient tradition of the church, and it it's um, I find it very moving, mm-hmm. um, and it's a time to really enter into what our Lord did for us his loving us to the end his suffering on the cross and then after the adoration of the cross we have the rite of communion as I mentioned I highly recommend people attend the celebration of the Lord's passion on Good Friday to participate to listen to the reading of the passion to adore the cross of our Lord to venerate it and then to receive the Holy Eucharist on the day where our Lord's body was broken for us and his blood poured out for us. There are other devotions on Good Friday besides that. that the liturgy. In a lot of parishes, there's the Stations of the Cross in the evening because usually the celebration of the Lord's Passion is sometime between 12 noon and 3 o'clock. Mm-hmm. The three hours where our Lord hung on the cross, depending on cultures there are a lot of different devotions on good friday our hispanic communities often they reenact the passion they'll have the way of the cross in the streets Mm -hmm. um other ethnic groups have other customs on on good friday commemorations for example of the the sorrows of the blessed virgin mary so good friday should be a day of prayer it's certainly a day of of penance it's a day of fast and a day of abstinence from meat
0: and so, a reminder on the, the fasting, absence for meat, obviously, we're not eating meat. Uh, the the fasting, what is the guidelines there? Just one full meal, and uh, one can have
1: two smaller meals that wouldn't add up to a full meal. And then no snacking No snacking, as well. no eating between meals, yeah.
0: And then, leading into Saturday, uh, I think Saturday often gets overlooked because we go from Good Friday to Easter Vigil, is there much going on on holy saturday well holy
1: saturday you know we should think of our lord's descent into hell what happened after the crucifixion and we profess this in the creed that that our lord descended into hell hell of course being the place of the dead not the place of eternal damnation Mm -hmm. but all those who are awaiting the resurrection there's a, a beautiful early Christian text about our Lord's descent to hell in the office of readings that day that I always like reading on Holy Saturday Hmm. but in a sense it's like the church being at the Lord's tomb meditating on his passion death and his descent to hell and awaiting his resurrection so Holy Saturday should be a day of prayer and we should have some devotion on Holy Saturday so that it's not um, just like any other day As I said, we should be really, in a sense, spiritually waiting at the Lord's tomb. And then the Easter Vigil, which uh, can only begin after nightfall, after sunset, Mm -hmm. is really a most ancient tradition. It's the night, the holy night, when our Lord rose from the dead. So the Easter Vigil is a great liturgy. We call it the mother of all vigils.
0: huh? And it's different from other vigils. A, A typical vigil that we would celebrate on a Saturday night would be the same mass same readings and things like that that you would hear on a Sunday morning. But the Easter Vigil is different readings and a different celebration than on Su- Easter Sunday morning. It is. It's. Uh, there are many
1: readings, for example. We kind of reflect on the whole history of salvation. There are seven Old Testament readings. Uh-huh. And, you know, we can read all seven. The church does allow you to shorten that a bit. But it's really a vigil of prayer so one shouldn't expect the easter vigil to be short right it's uh, a longer liturgy and it's uh, it's a time to to uh, kind of keep watch and we're awaiting our lord's resurrection and of course the order of the liturgy is different than an ordinary mass because it begins with a service of light Outside, the Mm -hmm. blessing of the Easter fire. Remember, it's not to begin before sunset. Uh So, the priest goes outside and blesses the fire. And then from the fire, he lights the Paschal candle, the Easter candle. And everyone enters into the church, and the church is in darkness. And uh, three times, the priest will hold up the Easter candle and sing, Christ our light. And everyone sings in response, thanks be to God. And then the light is passed on, everyone has candles, Mm -hmm. and then eventually the whole church is kind of filled with the candlelight of everyone holding the lit candles that were lit from the paschal candle so kind of reminds you the children of israel they were guided at night by a pillar of fire Hmm. in the in the desert in the exodus but we're here we're following the risen christ he is our light and then when the priest gets to the uh, sanctuary and uh, puts the easter candle or if there's a deacon, he carries it, but uh, he puts it in. Then they sing the exalted. The deacon sings it, or the priest, usually. If there's no deacon or priest who's able to sing it, then you can have a cantor sing it, but it's the great Easter proclamation. It's called the exalted, Mm -hmm. and um, it's beautiful. And then when that is over, everyone extinguishes their candles, and they sit down and and then you have that long liturgy of the word the seven readings from the old testament with responsorial psalms a reading from one of the letters of saint paul and then the gospel of the resurrection the liturgy of the word at the easter vigil is really um, beautiful the first reading is always the creation of the world Mm -hmm. there's the reading uh, about the exodus there's readings from the prophets it really is kind of the highlights of the history of our salvation, yeah. reaching their climax in the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. Another thing is you hear the Alleluia sung, and it's a very joyful Alleluia, because we haven't heard the Alleluia during the whole Lenten season. Mm-hmm. So the priest intones it three times, raising the pitch, and then the gospel is proclaimed. Hmm then we have after the homily we have the baptismal liturgy so all the people the adults who've been preparing in the rcia for the sacraments of initiation for baptism confirmation and first eucharist after the uh liturgy of the word we have the uh rite of baptism you know you have the blessing of the of the baptismal water and the profession of faith and then um the baptism of those who become new christians there's also the renewal of baptismal promises by everybody and then they're sprinkled with holy water then you have the rite of confirmation so that's the third part you know again we don't usually have that at a regular mass right and then after that you get to the fourth part of the vigil which is the liturgy of the eucharist and In its fullest sense, that's the Easter sacrament, Jesus, in the Eucharist, the bread of life. And that completes the Christian initiation of the men and women who've been preparing for baptism and who are baptized and confirmed at the Easter vigil. They receive the third sacrament of initiation, the Holy Eucharist.
0: Hmm. And why is that mass different than the Easter Sunday morning mass as far as take just the readings i can see why you only do the rca component at one of the masses but why are the readings different because
1: remember the easter vigil is more than just the celebration of the resurrection of jesus it's also the recollection of all that led up to it Hmm. whereas if you go to just the easter sunday mass it's basically about the resurrection the readings for example but no, the Easter Vigil is is kind of like a, uh, a looking at the the whole history of salvation, beginning with the creation of of the
0: universe. Well, I can personally invite people if you haven't been to an Easter Vigil because you've been intimidated by how long it's going to be or something like that. It is well worth it. I've always been super inspired and impressed by those liturgies always a, a yeah. great opportunity and if nothing else just to see the people that are coming to the church and their their faith of stepping out uh, but also yeah that that history and is, is such a beautiful mass i agree with you kyle i highly recommend people uh, attending the easter
1: vigil it's a great celebration and um you know one can prepare for it realize it's going to be longer mm-hmm. than a usual mass but this is the highlight of the whole liturgical year yeah and I think what you said is good. It's good to be there to prayerfully support those who are initiated into into the church.
0: Well, and something we can start doing today is, is praying for those, if you haven't been doing that throughout Lent or throughout the year, uh, pray for those that are preparing to enter the church at that Easter vigil. All right. Well, if you have a question for Bishop, you can ask it by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260 260- 436 95 and coming up bishop will answer questions up here on truth and charity with bishop rhodes brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union welcome back to truth and charity with bishop rhodes i am kyle hyman asking questions that you have submitted for bishop to answer uh, before we get to that i thought maybe you could answer one of my questions which is well maybe we'll call this the, our catholic word of the week Urbi et Orbi. Okay. You're Latin.
1: You didn't study Latin, Kyle? Not a second. No. (laughs) No. Orbi et Orbi. Okay. U-R-B-I. Et Orbi. O-R-B-I. Uh-huh. It means it's the dative case of two words. The two Latin words that mean city and world. So the dative case means to the city and to the world. Huh, that's what it means to the city and to the world. And it refers to when we speak about the orbi et orbi blessing of the pope every Christmas and Easter. The pope appears at the central loggia, the balcony of St. Peter's Basilica, uh-huh. looking out over St. Peter's Square and gives a blessing to the city and to the world. In other words, oh. to the city of Rome and to the world. He gives a Christmas blessing and an Easter blessing. So we call it the Orbi et
0: Orbi blessing. Oh, well, that's great. Well, one of our listeners asked the following question Is there a saint to pray to about a miscarriage? The patron saint, you know, against miscarriages and also
1: against abortions is. Saint Catherine of Sweden mm-hmm. and she was the daughter of Saint Bridget of Sweden oh, okay um, but you know what I'm not really sure why she's the patron saint against miscarriages I know that she after her husband died she she took a or I guess even while he was alive they they took a vow of mutual chastity and but I'm not quite sure why she's the patron saint, but listeners if they're
0: interested, can uh, read about her St. Catherine of Sweden all right well Angie Lingenfelter from this parish St. Little Flower in South Bend that we're broadcasting from says what do people mean when they say they are a third order Carmelite or a Franciscan tertiary what are the first and second orders Angie that's a good question I think a lot of people don't would
1: have that same question that you have. When we talk about our religious orders, when they talk about the first order, generally that's talking about male religious. For example, Franciscans, Dominicans, Carmelites, Augustinians, they are first order. When they speak of second order, like a second order Franciscan, for example, that's referring to the poor Clares. The okay. contemplative order of Franciscan nuns, they're called the Poor Clares. So generally, the second order—Dominicans, Franciscans, Carmelites, etc.—are female contemplative religious institutes. Okay. Okay. Now, third order is a little more complicated. Third order can be religious or laity. And members of third orders are known as tertiaries. It comes from the Latin word tertius, which means third. So, as Angie said, she was asking about people who say they're a third order Carmelite tertiary, for example. Uh They're in the third order. Generally, if, if you're talking about a lay third order for lay people, they don't take religious vows, but they're associated with that religious order they might for example if they're a dominican wear a scapular mm-hmm. which is part of the habit of a dominican i mean i'm sorry not dominican of a um, of a carmelite the scapulars with the carmelites and they may do certain prayers they follow kind of the uh, and some of the saints who founded these orders had a, a special branch for lay people that they could participate in the spirituality even though they're not taking vows like Mm -hmm. those in the first order or the second order. So we call those um, lay people tertiaries, third order Dominicans, third order Augustinians, third order Franciscans. Now, the reason I said it gets a little complicated is that there is also the possibility of religious following a third order. Okay. So let me give you an example. Yeah. The Sisters of Saint Francis of Perpetual Adoration, right, in, with the with the um, mother house in Mishawaka, mm-hmm. they are third order Franciscans. Okay, even though they're religious, because they're not contemplative, right. So they wouldn't fit in the first order because that's male religious. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't fit in the second order because they're not cloistered. So they follow the third order. They're active women religious. Mm -hmm. who follow the spirituality of St. Francis of Assisi. So they're called third order regulars. Hmm. So there are in these different religious orders, if you hear that term regular, third order regular, Uh they're not lay people. Okay, They do take vows, third order regulars, whereas third order lay people don't take vows. I hope it's not too complicated, but – and actually, there's third-order regular male and female religious. There are third-order Franciscans. There are, you know, regulars. We had some in Pennsylvania. There's third-order regular Dominicans. There's third-order lay Dominicans and third-order lay Franciscans. So –
0: okay. Yeah. All right. Well, if you have questions, you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com/askbishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at two six zero four three six ninety five ninety eight. We've got more of your questions, including a question about purgatory, mortal sin, and more. Coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop answering questions that you've submitted. One of our listeners asked, what is the significance of purgatory? Purgatory,
1: yes. Purgatory is a state of purification. Mm -hmm. The word purgation, purification from sin. So a person who is in the state of purgatory is being purified for entrance into the heavenly kingdom. All right.
0: I feel like we could probably tackle this in a future episode, maybe some more detail. But we've got another question that was submitted. Is it true that if one purposefully withholds a mortal sin during confession, then the whole confession is invalid? That is true. Now,
1: if someone forgets to confess a mortal sin, the confession is valid and all his or her sins are forgiven. Hmm. But if a person deliberately refuses to mention a mortal sin in confession, then yeah, the, then there, the, the confession is invalid. There is no forgiveness.
0: Okay. One final question is, on a recent show, Bishop said somebody had looked up his Episcopal lineage and it was on file in a folder somewhere. Any chance Bishop could share the results? We actually let you know in advance and you, you looked it up and you brought your whole folder with yeah, you. Yeah, you know, I did. I, I found the
1: file. And uh, what's wonderful is I'm in the line of Pope John Paul II because the bishop who ordained me was ordained a bishop by John Paul II. Okay. So, historically, my line of of succession goes back to the mid-16th century, to 1541, a bishop by the name of Scipione Rebiba. Rebiba. Huh. And that's as far back as it can be Traced. Now, there is a wide belief that that bishop, Scipione Rebiba, was ordained by John Pietro Cardinal Carafa, who became Pope Paul IV, but we don't have absolute certainty of that because no documentation about that has been found. So, what's interesting when you look at this is 95% of the bishops today their orders can be traced back to that one single bishop in 1541, Scipione Rebiba. Really? Yep. And along the lines, I said I'm on the line of John Paul II. There are a few other popes that are in the line as well. Pope Benedict Thirteenth is one of them. Hmm. And uh, so it was really interesting when someone sent me this not long after I was ordained a bishop.
0: So I'm noticing a trend here with popes. Is this uh, point towards any potential here? <laughs> no, not. I'm sure not. <laughs> Do we know what country this bishop was from? Shipiona, Italy.
1: Okay, Italy. And if you look at my all the bishops in the line of succession that I am, the great majority of them are their Italian names. Sure. Um, there are some Polish. More than yeah, there's a, a, a number of them before John Paul were Polish, and I noticed there was one English. Henry Benedict Mary Clement Stewart, who was a cardinal and Duke of York. And yeah, and he was uh, ordained in 1758. So I, I noticed that one English name. But again, the great
0: majority of them are Italians and some are Poles. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Bishop, for joining us for another episode of Truth and Charity. And we wish everybody a blessed Holy Week. Could you give us your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
1: Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy Easter, Kyle, and happy Easter to all the listeners. Thank you, Bishop.
2: Join us next Wednesday at noon for a special episode of Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We have gone through all the listener-submitted questions from previous shows and picked out some of our favorites. We'll be playing them for you on our next show. Hear more about Bishop's favorite mystery of the Holy Rosary, how we can encourage others to go to confession, and some of Bishop's favorite jokes. Check out all the past episodes of Truth and Charity by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. And while there, submit a question or two for Bishop to answer on a future show or Just download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet. Truth and Charity is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.